Investor intelligence provides general information only. You should consider seeking independent advice to see how this information relates to your unique circumstances. Please refer to the terms and conditions available at investorintelligence.com.au for more. Guys, welcome and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Investor Intelligence, brought to you by the team at The Property Mentors. It's your weekly podcast for all things investment, and as always, hosted by me, Phoebe Sikowski-Wallace. So a few weeks ago, I was lucky enough to host the end of year webinar for The Property Mentors alongside founder and CEO, Luke Harris. The webinar was all about the hottest property opportunities for 2023, and it was so well received and talked about topics that I know our listeners will find interesting. So I wanted to share that with you here on the podcast today. So today's episode will be structured a little bit like an FAQ episode, as these are all questions from the people who attended the webinar. So you can find the specific questions and their timestamps in the show notes if you want to skip to any particular ones. And if you want to listen and also watch the webinar slides, there is also a link in our show notes to do that too. So grab a pen and some paper, take some notes as there's plenty of insightful information here for you. And I hope you enjoy. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Property Mentors end of year webinar, where we will be looking at the hottest property opportunities for 2023. My name is Phoebe Sikowski-Wallace. You may recognize me from the Investor Intelligence podcast, and I am joined tonight by the Property Mentors CEO and founder, Luke Harris. Welcome, Luke. Good evening, Phoebe. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So just before we get into today's or tonight's topic and the questions, um, the property mentors would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we are meeting. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I would also like to extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples with us this evening. Now, while every care has been taken to ensure the accuracy of the material presented tonight, the presenters and their respective companies, employees or any other representatives do not bear any responsibility or liability for action taken by any person on the basis of the information contained in this forum. This content is for information purposes only. It is recommended that no person make an investment decision until such time as their individual needs, desires and risk profile have been assessed by a qualified professional. If you would like to review your personal situation, visit thepropertymentors.com.au to request a meeting with a property investment expert. So guys, when you registered for this webinar, there was an option to ask Luke any questions you may have about investing in property. Uh, Following the presentation, we will try to get to as many of those questions as we can. If you think of any questions during the session, feel free to message the property mentors using the chat function of this webinar. If you are a member of our mentoring program and would like to discuss these opportunities further after the session, you can book in a coaching call with your mentor through their booking calendar on the My Mentor page of your online portal. 
if you're not already a member with the Property Mentors and would like to learn more about our mentoring program and what it includes, please message your name and your contact number to the Property Mentors using the chat function once again of this webinar and we will organise for one of our mentors to get in contact with you at a later date. So Luke, let's get started. Talk to me about these opportunities for 2023. Look, um, 2023 is going to be a very different year uh, to what we've seen throughout 2022. When we look back over the last two to three years, we sort of finished 2019 in a relatively buoyant property market. Things were doing quite well. Uh, there was a lot of movement in the market. There was a lot of optimism. Early 2020 happened and there was a little bit of uncertainty sort of crept in. Now, nobody knew what was yet to come, but uh, of course, going into 2020, there was still a little bit of that, uh, that bit of a rush, a bit of a high that people were on from 2019. And then COVID happened. Uh, as we all know, uh, COVID mm. sort of distracted and disrupted the whole world uh, for, for a period of time. And we're talking about a good solid 18 months of pain and suffering and uh, a lot of uh, uncertainty in the markets. But as we know now, looking back, um, 2020 and 2021, especially in Australia, uh, in Australia, in capital cities, property prices did extremely well. Uh, a lot of people stepped out of the market during 2020 and decided to wait and see what happens. A lot of uh, experienced investors went out there and bought a lot of property throughout 2020. And I know that myself and a, another of our, uh, our team went out and bought property in 2020 and throughout 2021. So bringing us up to the end of 2021, we sort of started to see a bit of change back in the market where people realized that 2020 was a good year for property, uh, despite being a bad year for, uh, for health and uh, mental health in particular, uh, lockdowns around the country, uh, travel restrictions. It was a pretty horrible time. But coming up to the end of 2021, people realized that that property prices had done quite well so people sort of started dipping their toes back in the in the water uh towards the end of 2021 a lot of investors went out and bought property in the second half of 2021 and going into this year 2022 people realized that whilst interest rates were going up they didn't want to miss out on getting into property so what happened was that we sort of got back into i wouldn't quite say a normal property market but 2022 was very much a more stabilized property market where people were getting out there again and buying property and happy to take on the risk of investing again like they were back in 2019. So for the, for the best part of 2020 and 2021, there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people just sitting on the sidelines. And uh, moving into 2022, it sort of got back to more people coming into the market and then of course the second half of 2022 we've seen interest rates just continually rise and they've risen again uh for december and you know we're, we're going to see uh you know a lot higher rates uh, next year than than what we saw in 2021 so the opportunities really uh, moving into 2023, I guess it comes down to a few different things. A lot of people really now with higher interest rates that they've never seen before. Some people that have bought in the last few years have never seen rates this high. Mm. If you've been in the market for 10 or 15 or 20 years, this is just a normal interest rate 
cycle. And so for me, uh, where the interest rates are sitting right now, it's not scary, it's not surprising, uh, and it's certainly, uh, it's certainly not something I'm worried about. But I can understand if people got into a mortgage at 2.5% that's now going up to 5.5% or 6.5%, I can see how that would be scary for a lot of people. It's a huge amount of extra cash to put in. So one of the, the opportunities that people are really going to be looking out for, the hottest opportunities for 2023, are going to be properties with higher yields. So what we're talking about is finding properties that give us a higher percentage yield return, so a higher rent versus the expenses. And what that means is looking at different types of properties around the country that give us higher rental returns being one one part of that, something that's going to give us a capital growth percentage as well, of course, but then uh, we're looking at something that's going to give us good depreciation and tax benefits. So it's not one thing in isolation that we're going to be specifically looking for, but the hottest opportunities are really going to be those that have got a, a higher yield. And uh, I think that's what people are going to be looking for in 2023. And uh, there are areas around the country that still provide a, a higher yield, not, not so much positive cash flow. Um, a lot of people think that positive cash flow is going to be a regional area or somewhere with a very small population and, and low demand for property. It's not always the case. There are some great opportunities around the country to get that higher yield, but still have access to capital growth. And that's not necessarily a property market as such. Uh, it's not a, an area or a particular suburb or a region in particular. It's a property type. So what we do very well is, is to do that research around the country as to which areas are providing that really nice balance between yield and capital growth. Uh, we don't want to be chasing capital growth only to the detriment of having the yield so low that we can't support the investment. But at the same time, we don't want to be chasing yield so much to the point where we get zero capital growth in those properties. So getting that fine balance is really going to be where the hottest opportunities are and making sure that it fits our personal situation and our personal goals. So I think that's what we need to be focusing on for 2023. The next thing uh, we see for 2023 is sort of people sitting out of the market a little bit in that those that are not ready to buy might be worrying about interest rates and looking for other investment types. And we see that through 2023, there's going to be a lot more focus on people parking their money and potentially sitting on the sidelines for a little while, or maybe they've made some money in their investments throughout the last two or three years, and they're waiting for their next opportunity to come up. And so one of the things that we see being a big thing for 2023 is peer-to-peer lending. And uh, I think peer-to-peer lending is going to become uh, a lot more popular. It's it's becoming uh, a lot more commonplace for people to to do this sort of uh, lending. And what that means basically is people to uh, lend money to either other investors or other developers uh, to go out there and basically get a higher percentage return. Again, going back to that yield and cash flow situation. And by doing peer-to-peer lending, you're able to potentially get a higher return than what you can get on that money by leaving it in the bank or leaving it in an offset account, which can help you to cover any shortfall that you might have on other parts of your property portfolio. So for example, if I've got some money in savings and it's parked in my offset account, maybe I'm saving five or 6% interest, but if I can go out there and get eight or nine or 10% 
return on that money, then that's going to help me cover the shortfall I might have on the property. And so just being smart with your money and I guess uh, moving your investments around and I guess shuffling and reviewing your portfolio, any spare money you've got or any excess cash you've got in an offset account or savings or maybe you've got a self-managed super fund that's not performing the way that you want it to, using peer-to-peer lending can really help you to offset the uh, shortfall that you can have on other parts of the portfolio. So if you've got a property that's costing you $100 a week out of pocket, where can you use other funds to make that $100 a week up without you having to fork it out of your own pocket? So it's being smart with your investing, finding peer-to-peer opportunities, and really understanding how peer-to-peer lending can really help you to balance your cash flow situation, especially as rates go up and continue to go up. Now, predictions for 2023, we do expect rates are going to continue to go up in the first half of 2023. They are going to stabilize and probably... uh, come back down a little bit as inflation gets under control Uh, but nobody has a crystal ball and it's very hard to predict exactly how high rates will go and when they do hit their peak how far they will come back so global economy obviously is going through some challenges but we're starting to see the back end of a lot of those challenges uh, around the world and we are starting to see a little bit of stabilization but inflation here in australia is still quite stubbornly high and the only way to address that is to to bring interest rates back up to more normal levels. And that's what we've been seeing. So I think uh, peer-to-peer lending is going to really help people to manage their cash flow uh, throughout 2023. Yeah, thank you for that, Luke. Yeah, it's definitely been a big couple of years and sounds like we've got a big year ahead as well and a lot for people to think about. Now, Luke, just before we get into the questions, are there any other trends that you want to talk about or mention? The other trends that we look uh, look out for, there's been a lot of um, group buying in, in mm. property. So a lot of people are looking at prices and saying that, hey, prices are going up so much, I don't want to go and take on a $1 or $2 million loan to, to get into an investment property. And people are sort of saying, well, look, I, I prefer not to take on all of that risk myself. And so we're seeing that throughout 2023, there's going to be a lot more diversification through Uh, property investments in that people might like to go out there and invest with a friend or a family member and really group up to buy an investment because a lot of people are seeing that uh, to take on that debt for one single property might be too much or they may not be able to service that level of debt on their own. So group buying is probably going to become a, a lot more prominent in the marketplace, not necessarily as a mainstream thing, but for property investors in particular to be able to go out there and secure some assets and things like putting trusts together where people can actually be involved on a group level and basically be a part owner in a property or part owner in a property portfolio and things like uh, a wholesale property trust which we run here at the property mentors those types of investments where people can essentially buy a piece of the portfolio rather than uh, being responsible for taking out loans and taking on debt and we've found over the years that our wholesale property trusts have been uh, quite a quite an active part of people's portfolio in that they can invest you know small amounts of money into that twenty five thousand dollars per unit they can get into and essentially that's buying a part of a property trust which is uh, managed under the small scale rules with ASIC and those types of things can allow people to be involved in building a property portfolio without necessarily getting into debt or or having the risk of buying just one property 
and being able to access a diversified property portfolio. So one of the opportunities I see for 2023 is more people getting involved in those types of opportunities where they're a shared investor. And it is something that uh, a lot of people may not have heard of before or how do I even access something like that? And I think that's something that uh, you know a lot of people will be interested in finding out a little bit more. And you know whether you go out there with three or four friends and buy a property together, or whether you're involved in one of our wholesale trusts, or whether you, you know, form a networking group and have ten or twenty people join together um, to to invest. Co-investing models are really going to be a big thing for the next twelve months and beyond. I think there's really opportunities for people to get out there and tap into uh, those types of opportunities. Um, one of the other opportunities that I would probably see for for 2023 is people to downsize and diversify a little bit. So what I mean by that is that there are, there are a lot of people that have benefited from low interest rates over the last few years that have bought properties, they've probably performed well. Uh, if you've bought in a capital city in a good area, a lot of properties around the country have actually increased in value. And I think the opportunity for 2023 is for some people to consolidate their portfolios and capitalize on some of that growth that they've had now that doesn't necessarily mean we're just going to go out there and sell the portfolio and move on. Uh, that's a, quite a risky strategy without the proper, proper and appropriate planning. But there is opportunity for a lot of people that have actually been able to ride the wave, as they say, to consolidate and diversify their portfolio into other assets. So what I mean by that is that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of assets around the country that have actually grown in value through the low interest rate environment that we've seen over the last few years. But the growth on those properties may be limited moving forward. And it's about reviewing the portfolio, looking at what you've actually been able to generate over the last few years, and really do some figures on where you see that portfolio going moving forward. Um, one of the tools we use here at the Property Mentors is a software platform called Augur Investor. Uh, we use that uh, software program for all of our forecasting. If you go to the website, augurinvestor.com.au, you can have a look at that and actually go through doing your forecasting on your property portfolio, punching in all of the figures on where your property numbers sit because as, a, as an investor, you want to behave like a property, a professional investor, don't you? You know, you don't want to go out there and just guess. And a lot of people are out there using spreadsheets and kind of hoping that they've got all their figures correct. And when we use Augur Investor, it allows us to actually punch in all of the figures on the property, do proper forecasting. And from that, we can use that as a tool to really analyze the portfolio, look at where we're going for the weeks and months ahead. And uh, obviously, that allows you to look into the future and see where your portfolio is headed for the next 6, 12 months and, and beyond. So I think that tool is going to be very helpful for people. And a lot of people in 2023 will be able to cash in on some of the equity they've, they've created or be able to sell out of those assets entirely. Yeah, it's a fantastic program. So thank you for that, Luke. Are you happy to get into some questions? Because we've got some people <laughs> wanting to ask them. Yes, I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. Uh, no I have probably very, a, lot of, a lot of questions as there. Always. As you know, I can talk all day. <laughs> we love you for look, it. When, when, we, when we talk about the opportunities for 2023, that's not an exhaustive list, of course. They're just some of the opportunities that we see coming up for the year of ahead. Course. And I think that, uh, yes, there are other opportunities out there. Uh, one of the... Uh, one of the things that I like is the fact that, you know, every every investor's situation is different. And so, you know, these these opportunities are quite quite broad. We do see that there are some headwinds still for property in the in the year ahead in some markets. 
but there are markets that are definitely going to outperform. Of course, of course. So we do have some questions that have come in from the registered attendees for tonight's webinar. Um, and first up, we have a question from Gabrielle. It says, Luke, in your opinion, what is the best way to increase momentum in property acquisition? Best way to increase momentum? Look, Gabrielle, it's a really good question. Increasing momentum, I guess, is a, is a difficult thing without having uh, all of your figures in front of us. Right? If you've got one property and you're looking to get your second one, increasing momentum is only going to happen by you coming up with a deposit, getting out there, taking on another loan. Uh, if you've got four or five properties in your portfolio, it's going to be a very different answer again. So one of the best ways to build up momentum is to make sure that you've used all of the funds that you've got access to wisely. Now, it doesn't mean putting it all into property. It doesn't mean putting it all into anything in particular, but it means reviewing your entire situation and making sure that you've actually got an understanding of where all of your money is and how it's performing. So what I mean by that is if you've got one property or two properties, review the rents. Make sure that you've got a professional property manager with experience that understands long-term investing. Right, A lot of property managers out there might be just doing it as a job. They're not investing themselves, couldn't really care less about what your rental return is. Uh, so make sure that your property investor, uh, sorry, make sure your property manager is a property investor. Ask them the question, do you have investment properties yourself? Uh, and make sure that they understand that your goal here is to get the best return you can get on that investment. Now, sometimes making some small improvements to the property can actually justify an increase of rent of 10, 20, $30 a week. And a lot of tenants might be happy to pay that if you put a dishwasher in or you put an air conditioner in, maybe install some fly screens, little things like that that can keep tenants happy can increase your yield which has a flow on effect of being able to build that momentum in your portfolio. And imagine if you've got five properties, you can do some small improvements and that adds an extra 30 to $50 a week per property to your bottom line. That might allow you to go and build up that momentum faster, which allows you to get into your next property. So look at the small changes that you can make to be able to increase that long-term. Look for efficiencies that you can have with your loans. Try and save money on your loans, but spend good money for property management, right? Don't try and cut corners on the people that are actually looking after the asset for you. Finding the cheapest property manager is a disaster in in, the, in waiting. Uh, a lot of people try and find the cheapest property management rates, and then all of a sudden they find that there's a problem six, 12 months later, property managers moved on, there's another one in there, and all of a sudden, you know, the service level drops and that can cause huge problems for repairs and maintenance and also the relationship with the tenant because the tenant ultimately is your customer. And if your property manager is a long-term property manager with a lot of experience in the industry, that's what they do for a career, not just for a job. Uh, those relationships can help tenants to be more comfortable where they are and, um, you know, making sure that you're not trying to save money there, save money with the banks. Try and renegotiate your loans, speak to your mortgage broker. So building up all of the momentum in your portfolio is really going to come from all of those little tweaks that you do. Don't just sit there and, you know, every couple of years you review your, your numbers. Look at what you're paying for the property, where you can get some efficiencies, look at your loans, see if you can increase your rents. And of course, if you've got some savings, use what we mentioned before, peer-to-peer -peer lending. If you've got $20,000 $20, sitting there and it's not doing much, look at opportunities for peer-to-peer -peer lending. 
you know, make sure that you're maximizing all of the funds that you've got. If you've got a self-managed super fund, then talk to your accountant, talk to your mentor about what property opportunities you can do to go out there and build those funds as well so that you can go and do that. Of course, making sure that you're getting all the correct advice around that before you go and make any financial decisions. We're not here to give financial advice, uh, but we can talk about the opportunities if you come to us with some funds to invest. So, you know, those types of things can actually help you to build that momentum and really just making sure that you understand where your money is at any point in time, where it's invested, who it's with, and what returns you're getting on that investment. Beautiful, yep, there's plenty in that answer for you. Thank you, Gabrielle, for that question. I hope you found that helpful. So the next question we have is from Leigh. Luke, how did you learn to be effective and successful in property investment? Effective and successful? Look, I think over time, the more you do something, the better you get at mm. it. Um, it's it's the same thing with playing tennis, right? You go out there and play tennis and you hit the ball on a wrong angle, it flies over the net, then goes over the fence and then ends up in the neighbor's yard. <laughs> um, you know, you practice that enough times, you'll, you'll get it right and land it in the square. Um, I think being, being across your portfolio, being across where, like I said in the last comment, is being across where everything's at and understanding that, investing in properties for the long term, but also understanding that building your property portfolio needs to be treated like a business. A lot of people are getting emotionally connected and emotionally involved in their property portfolio. And oh, I like this street or I like the location or my friend lives around the corner. I like the kitchen, all of these emotional connections to investing that really can become a distraction for you. So my focus over the last couple of decades has been around treating my investing like a business, talking to my advisors, making sure that I have a fantastic relationship with my accountant, uh, my own mentors that I use as well, but also understanding that by treating it like a business, we're taking a long-term and a non-emotional approach to investing. So being successful in investing is going to look different for everybody. Some people might just like to pay off their own home and that's enough for them. Some people want to create a passive income and have their own family home paid off. Others want to go out there and build multi-million dollar property portfolios and have private jets and and, uh, fancy homes and first-class travel, Mm -hmm. right? Wherever that is for you, understand what success looks like, work backwards from the end goal, work with a mentor, somebody that's going to keep you accountable and keep you on track, and enjoy the process. See, property investing can be a lot of fun. And if you're doing it the right way with a good team of people around you, enjoy the process. It's not an overnight thing. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It's probably gonna be something that you're gonna do for the next five, 10, 20 years or more. Ingrain your property investing into, into your life. Learn about it, ask questions, be involved, but also be excited about it because Property has massively changed my life. I don't know what I would be doing if I wasn't doing property. I'll be doing property for the rest of my life. And um, I think focusing on that long-term goal is so powerful. Um, And I think to be successful in, in anything in life, you need to focus on that end goal and do whatever it takes to get it. So get out there and get started, basically. Get started, or if you've been sitting on your hands for a little while, hmm. pick yourself up, dust yourself off, get back out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Leigh, for that question. So question number three, this one is from Marek. 
It says, what could I achieve after 10 years investing in property? I guess that's an interesting question. And it does come back down to your income and your servicing, how much debt you can take on, uh, what your risk for appetite, uh, sorry, what your appetite for risk is, um, and really what your end goal is, what you could achieve for for uh, a 10 year time frame. The sky's the limit, really. Uh, if you've got a very conservative approach, you might go and buy two properties over that 10 year period. Uh, if you've got a, you know, if you're a little bit more hungry and you've got the income to support it, there's no reason why you couldn't build a $2 million, $5 million, $10, $20 million property portfolio over that time. But really the, the focus on that question should be around what do you want to achieve mm. over a 10-year period rather than what, what can I achieve. Once you know what you want to achieve, we can work backwards from that and we use a mathematical formula to work out whether that's actually possible. Right. So if you're earning $40,000 a year at the moment um, and you've got no deposits saved up and you want to have a $45 million property portfolio on a private jet, uh, we're probably a, a little bit further away, uh, a little bit further apart than where we should be. Um, you know, but at the same time, if you've got one property with some equity in it, if you're earning $80,000, $90,000 a year, um, you might have some money in your super fund that you can talk to your accountant or financial planner about potentially investing that and, and looking at a, a holistic view of your investing and where you want to get to. There's no reason why you couldn't build quite a successful portfolio over that time. But like I said, it does come back to what you actually want to achieve. First of all, working out if it's mathematically possible to achieve that. If it's not, what do you need to do to get mm. there? And uh, using forecasting tools, like we mentioned earlier, using Augur Investor um, to, to do that forecasting can really show you uh, what the results could look like in 10 years. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so it could, it'll be different for everyone, but you can achieve some pretty great things in 10 years for sure. If you want to and if you're committed yes, to it. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> so question number four, this is actually a two-part question from Thelma. Uh, will the property market slow down and how will increased interest rates impact the property market? So you touched on this a little bit before. Yeah, look, I think the, the thing is, is a lot of people talk about the property market and I've always been a little bit, um, little bit concerned about using such a broad term because there is no such thing as the Australian property market. That might seem odd because we hear it in the media all mm. the time. The Australian property market's doing this or the Sydney property market's doing this. The, the reality is these are generic terms that the media like to use. And look, to be honest, the media doesn't claim to be, nor are they supposed to be experts in property. So of course, they're not going to use the correct terminology for everything. Mm. Um, but at the same time, when people are talking about this stuff, it's because they've heard something in the media about the property market doing this or that. In my view, there's property markets all around the country and there's thousands of them, tens of thousands of property markets. Now, if we're looking at Melbourne versus Sydney, are they two markets or are they markets made up of thousands of other markets? If we're looking at Perth, for example, or Brisbane, when we're talking about these cities, we've got the house and land market in new suburbs. We've got established suburbs. We've got established areas like in Perth, you've got Cottesloe, Dalkeith, Peppermint Grove, you know, Melbourne, you've got um, South Yarra, Brighton, Turak, all of these expensive suburbs like Kew and Canterbury. And Sydney, you've got places like Bondi, Mosman and all of these other 
um, expensive areas. Now, those areas are established property markets. And within those, you've got large parcels of land with houses on them. You've got apartments, you've got terrace houses, you've got townhouses. So each market has its own market within it. The Melbourne property market has the brand new house and land market. It has the inner city apartment market. It has the established house in in inner ring and middle ring suburb market. So all of these markets are going to perform differently, mm. depending on a whole number of different factors, and that includes infrastructure spending, uh, capital works in local government areas, and includes supply and demand. You know how many uh, properties are selling in those areas at any point in time, uh, vacancy rates when it comes to investment, and also what the demand is for those properties based on what type of demographic is actually buying in that area. If it's a first home buyer area and interest rates are going up, those areas are probably going to be affected a little bit more because those uh, are going to slow down because first home buyers are less likely to afford those prices with interest rates going up, they're going to be more cautious. So a lot of those areas are going to be affected, but that doesn't mean the entire Melbourne market is going to be affected or the entire Brisbane market. Um, so what we've got to look at is, is the market going to be affected? Well, yes and no. So yes, the market in general is going to be affected with interest rates rising and some markets will actually slow down and some will come to a grinding halt. Other markets within those markets are going to outperform. And the difficult part for people out there trying to navigate through all of this information and oftentimes a lot of misinformation that's out there is which markets should I be investing in? Because look, if you're saying that you know some markets are going to do well and some aren't going to do so well, how do I navigate through all of this? And the, that's a very good question because there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of outdated data out there. There's a lot of media reports and information online and there's a lot of articles and bits and pieces that you can read. How do you navigate through all this critically analyze all this information and then apply it back to your own situation. Mm -hmm. And the short answer is you can't because the data is always changing. So the, the best answer I can give to that is saying, yes, interest rates are going to affect a lot of markets around the country. That's also going to create opportunities. A lot of people are going to sit on the sidelines and wait, wait and see what happens. But there are a lot of people that are going to take advantage of the opportunities that are out there because there's less competition. If you're an owner-occupier, you've got two kids and you've got a third one coming, you might go and buy a property no matter what because you've always wanted to upgrade that property and you've got a kid coming and you want to move to an area where the schools are good. So people like that are going to continue to buy. They're not going to be affected by interest rates. But at the same time, there are going to be some amazing opportunities out there for 2023 and getting the right balance for you between capital growth, cash flow, and making sure that you can afford the property with interest rates rising is going to be critical to your success in property in 2023. So the main thing that we can suggest is if you're looking at, you know, whether the markets are going to go up, down or sideways, make sure that we understand that whatever market you're investing in fits your goal and understand that whatever the market does short term for the next 12 to 24 months, that doesn't mean that's going to change your results forever. Mm. So it might be a little bit tougher for the next 12 to 24 months in some areas, in some property markets, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be that way forever. Yeah. It's like having a bad, a bad hair day. Right? <laughs> you might have a bad, a bad hair day for a few weeks or if, if, you know, <laughs> you have a bad, last, bad yeah. haircut. <laughs> 
but it won't last and it will get back to normal and you can you can look pretty again so i think i would focus focus on the long term that's the most important okay thing. what a great way to look at it and thank you thelma for that question that's a that's a fantastic one i'm sure a lot of people wanted to know that one so we have to move on so our next question so the next couple of questions actually are from people wanting to talk about specific areas of australia luke so the first one is from mick and he wants to know where are the best opportunities in regional queensland and regional australia in general how do you measure a regional opportunity a regional opportunity, a regional area as such is something that's not a capital city. They're designed, uh, they're designed as satellite cities, uh, areas that you'll see uh, around the country that are obviously have smaller populations. Now, that can range from 100,000 people down to 5,000 people. Uh, so a regional opportunity can be uh, all, over, all over the country. Um, where in specifically in, in Queensland is, is very hard to sort of suggest where's going to be a great market. Like we said in the last question, is there's different markets within the markets. Mm. So in regional Queensland, for example, you might have some amazing opportunities to go and buy farmland, you know, that's 100 acres or more. They might be the best opportunities, but they also might be five to $10 million. Um, you might find that, uh, you know, some... Uh, regional areas in Queensland are going to perform well because there's low stock, there's low vacancy rates, uh, and there's, there's also population growth. Those types of areas are probably going to perform well uh, at the same time. When we're looking at uh, parts of regional Queensland, we look at uh, areas like the Sunshine Coast, uh, even the Gold Coast, uh, whilst it is technically a city and not a regional area, um, those areas have actually done extremely well over the last three or four years with a lot of people moving from the south, the Mexicans, as 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 we get called, uh, us, us southerners in Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, we cross the border and we, uh, you know, we come up to the, the warmer parts of the country. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of price rises in places like Noosa, the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, Early Beach, all of those sorts of towns that have uh, have just really outperformed, and you know, whilst there is still some opportunities within those markets, just buying into those areas because they've done well doesn't mean they're going to continue to perform well. And like I said earlier, there's going to be the house and land market within that market. There's going to be the luxury home market. There's going to be the waterfront market. There's the apartment market, and then of course there's the high end apartment market as well. So. There's a whole lot of different factors. Like we said before, we need to consider um, other parts of the country, other regional areas that are going to perform well uh, could be those centres that where there's infrastructure spending. So Victoria has a huge amount of uh, uh, infrastructure, pro, uh, infrastructure projects for regional Victoria. There's Bendigo, uh, Ballarat, Shepparton, Geelong. A lot of those areas are going to have uh, increased growth in the years ahead. But like we've said, there's markets within those markets that are going to perform well and doing your research is very, very important mm. because it's a regional areas, not always, but it's traditionally seen as a little bit more risky. But understanding the numbers and understanding the research can minimise the, the risk and make sure that you understand the market that you're actually getting into. And uh, when it, some of the things that we need to look at are making sure that we've we've done a look at comparable properties, but also done the review on the population growth and looking at the infrastructure spent in those areas. So what's actually driving prices? Is it all Sydney and Melbourne people moving or is it people moving from other parts of Queensland? Is there a supply issue? Is there going to be more stock coming on the market soon that could 
cool down prices. Are the prices that we're seeing in some of these regional areas, are they a permanent shift or is it a temporary spike in those markets? So these are some of the things that we look at here at the Property Mentors to make sure that we're ruling out very quickly a lot of areas that aren't going to fit that criteria. Whenever we're looking at a property, there's over 100 pieces of data and information that we look at and we review to make sure it fits our investment criteria. And a lot of properties will just fall between the cracks. They're not going to suit for a number of reasons. And and typically, a lot of properties that might look great on the surface really don't stack up and don't qualify for us to invest in once we start digging in deeper. So I guess there really needs to be a reason why you are looking at buying a regional property in Queensland specifically and we need to find out what the reason is. If you live in Queensland and you want to buy in regional Queensland because your mates have heard about this particular area that's going to do well, make sure that you're doing that research and looking at other parts of the country to compare with uh, rather than just looking at the, the, the state or the territory that you live in. Mm. And this is where Augur can come in and help as well? Look, Augur Investor, like I said earlier, is a fantastic tool. We use it every single day, many, many times a day, of course. Um, you know, And I've got uh, quite a substantial amount of money invested in Airlie Beach as a regional area. There is a huge uh, uh, shortage of properties. Uh, the council have already identified that there is a backlog of, um, of developments that need to be approved. And you know, using Augur Investor really helps us to do the forecasting on that, using that data to look at places like Early Beach and Cannonvale um, to make sure that we understand the numbers behind that, look at what's coming on the market. We've got vacancy rates of less than 0.5%, and it has been that way for at least two mm-hmm. years now where there's literally no stock on the market, nothing's Nothing's coming up. Anything that goes on the market gets sold very quickly. Days on market is is reducing. And that's just been a super tight market for a long time because nothing was built in, in that area for the last 10 or 15 years um, after the GFC. It's been very, very quiet. So finding opportunities like that uh, can be very, very helpful in making sure that we've got an understanding of exactly pinpoint laser precision which type of property is going to be in demand and we've identified that specifically in 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 that market and the auger investor tool has just been amazing to be able to do the the forecasting on that and to really do the numbers on on which properties are going to outperform yeah thank you luke and thank you mick for that question so the last question we have time for tonight is from Kay, um and this is what is your outlook on the Perth market? Will it continue to climb? So, Luke, you're originally from Perth. You haven't lived there for a while, but what's your answer to this one? Uh, the short answer is yes. Perth, Perth is going to do well uh, in general. And like we said before, there is no such thing as the Perth market. But overall, Perth is going to continue to do well. Sydney and Melbourne um, have continued to increase in value Brisbane has done extremely well. A lot of people seem to be relating that to the Olympics, which I don't think is real. Uh, There has been a lot of price growth in Brisbane because Melbourne and Sydney have been expensive. Also, like we mentioned, people have been moving from Sydney and Melbourne up to Brisbane uh, because they've realized they can work from home after the pandemic and they've just decided enough's enough. We're going to finally do it. Life is short. Let's move north like we've always planned. And so Brisbane's done very well out of that. Perth's no different. 
Uh, Perth is a growing city. It does have a lot of challenges ahead as far as uh, its uh, diversification of its uh, of its um, revenue and income to get, move away from mining over the next ten to twenty years, which it needs to do. Uh, but Perth itself, as a city, has has actually got some great opportunities now. Where those opportunities are in Perth is going to vary a little bit because there's different regions and different pockets within Perth that um, that are going to outperform. On the radar for us right now, it's finding affordable uh, townhouse and house and land opportunities. A lot of Perth, you know, when I was growing up in the northern suburbs of Perth, it's grown south and north as far as the eye can see, almost 100 kilometres in every direction, up and down the coast. And what Perth's done over the last decade or so has decided that it needs to become a more compact city. Like what has... and. Perth definitely didn't copy what the East Coast did because I know anyone from WA that's listening right now, we didn't do it because the East Coast have done it. We've done it on our own. (laughs) WA likes to do things on their own and definitely not like the East Coast. And I know friends of mine that'll be listening to this that'll laugh at that. But uh, the end of the day is Perth has realised that it needs to become a more compact city. And yes, it does have to copy what has worked on the East Coast. What has worked in Sydney and Melbourne is becoming more compact cities rather than just having an urban sprawl that goes forever and ever. Uh, The state government has realised in WA that they need to have more hospitals and schools and shops and public transport within the boundaries of what's already been built rather than just continuing to go up and down the coast. And us WA people, we're called sand gropers. We love being near or on the beach. (laughs) And, um, you know, so for for that reason, everyone likes to live near the beach. But... At the same time, Perth has the ability to have infill developments within existing and established areas. And Perth has uh, been waking up to the opportunities that it has to create more density within its existing borders. And yes, it is a massive state. You know, if you put a picture of Europe inside WA, you fit most of Europe inside Western Australia. Um, and, you know, you've got so many more millions of people living in Europe than you do in WA. So, you know, Perth being the most isolated city in the world um, really has opportunities to to uh, fill in the, uh, the, the, the gaps, I guess, and have higher density in the areas that it's got. So Perth is going to do well. Uh, it's definitely on our radar. I've got a dozen or so properties in WA myself. And um, they've been performing quite well. Um, but there are, uh, I guess, opportunities in WA that we'll be keeping on the radar and really looking out for in 2023. Uh, it doesn't mean Perth in general is going to do um, extremely well across the board, but there are opportunities. And I do, I do believe Perth is going to do well in the, in the year ahead. Guys, thank you for listening. And I hope you found that helpful. Remember, if you want to know any more about anything that has been discussed in this webinar or you want to get in contact with one of our mentors, please head to thepropertymentors.com.au to book a discovery call. As for the podcast, we will still be releasing episodes over the holidays, so do tune in for those. We'll be releasing a summer series episode and Luke's top book recommendations for the new year. Other than that, and on behalf of the team here at The Property Mentors, we wish you a very safe and happy Christmas and New Year's.